Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. It's Tuesday, so we are talking Major League Baseball with my good friend up there in New York City of fangraphs.com where they have a new podcast logo that i very much like fangraphs audio so go subscribe there if you are not already and uh, become a fangraphs subscriber member whatever uh word you would like to use to describe this go to it today because fangraphs is great john taylor good afternoon how are you bonjour i am doing well how about yourself bonjour you've you've done this before we've talked about the whole language situation because we both took latin and everything is this going to be a new thing for you the bonjour part of it no i thought you're gonna say I'm, I'm i'm confusing the listeners by by talking by talking crazy no no i just I, I seem to recall us uh us doing that um we need to now that we're we're backed up, John, and now that uh, mm-hmm. summer is is out in full force, and we got the Braves and the Red Sox. You know what I was thinking about before we were recording? Yes, Fisher and mm. my dog, the Keyshawn. Uh, okay, Khaleesi. They got to meet up for this rivalry. We got to get some pictures of the Red Sox and Braves merch for our rival dogs. It's a big week for us. Well, we can we can definitely do it if. Um, we happen to be in the same city, which, uh, last I checked, no. No, we're not. Maybe no. some point, man. We need, we need to do, we need to like circle on the calendar a Red Sox Brave series or a, a Yankees Brave series or a Mets Brave series. Cause I need to get back up to New York. So that you maybe do. that's yeah, the key. You gotta get on up here and come watch your Braves and come get mad at the Braves. Okay. Okay. Is Fisher going to be involved in this situation? Probably not. Cause I don't think I can take him to a game. Okay. Um, can we, can we, how many places can I walk around and be like, ah, the Big Apple? All of them. That's okay. what we do here all the time, actually. I don't know if you knew that. We just spend all, all our time here just walking around going, hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> exactly. That's what I, that's what I assumed. Um, John, I want to start off with something yes. that I, I, I would guess that you would not expect me to start off, but I was going through the Pirates. Some dark wow. times. I was, I was going through the Pirates. I was thinking about what they were doing. Um, the Pirates are doing some interesting stuff with how they're calling guys up, and they're giving team, they're giving their guys, their AAA guys, spot starts, and then sending them back. They're kind of cycling in the ones that they're intrigued by, and just give them a taste, and then they're back down to AAA. But they are also at their one and two all with Frazier and Brian Hayes, who is just a delight, uh, even when he's missing first base. Um. They're batting over 300. Like the top of their order is actually kind of kind of feisty, and I think Hayes is going to be a star quicker than I think maybe a lot of casual baseball fans are ready for. Do you agree with that? I don't disagree with it. I mean, I think he's certainly the closest thing on this Pirates team currently to a guy you would say, yes, this is a dude they can kind of build around for the future because really, who else is there? Gregory Polanco didn't work, uh, and is almost certainly going to get. Uh, released or is going to have an option decline for this offseason. Uh, Felipe Vasquez, obviously, that's its own big bad problem. Uh, Garrett Cole, they traded. Jamison Tyon, they traded. Mitch Keller has not worked out. Bri- Brian Reynolds is still pretty good, but he's he's older than Hayes um, and you know certainly plays a less valuable defensive position. Uh, Will Crow has looked good, I guess. But th- there's just not, at the major league level at least, there's just not a whole lot for the Pirates to hang their hat on besides Cabrian Hayes. And so I think they kind of don't really have a choice but to build around him, especially when you consider, and this is always the most important thing for the Pirates, how far away he is from making anywhere approaching real money. Uh, he is not arbitration eligible until at least, uh, sorry, just totally lost track of him here. Where'd you go, Cabrian? There he is. He's not arbitration eligible for a while, obviously. This is just his second year in the majors, and he didn't even play a full season last season. So... And I mean, and you look at the expected numbers with them, they're all, you know, at least the statistics and his peripherals, which is to say the peripherals back up the statistics. He's hitting the ball hard. He's striking out not that much. He's putting the ball in play a good amount. He's hitting everything pretty well. You know, there's nothing in his profile that really suggests that this is, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're not going to, I mean, I'm not going to say that Hayes is going to become one of the like top 15 players in baseball, but there's certainly a lot to suggest that, yes, again, he is the best thing about this team currently. And 
will probably remain so for quite a bit. Because when you look at what the Pirates have going on in their farm system, there's a lot of really, really high-end talent in here. Uh, when when uh, Fangraph's Eric Longenhagen did their top prospects back in late February, he got up to 51 of them total, which you know Eric goes through. But there's a lot of high upside guys in here. They're going to get, obviously, the number one pick this uh, in this coming draft. They're going to mm-hmm. have another top five pick, I'm sure, in this next draft. You know, there's a lot of guys in that system who can help. And even if they can help, well, ideally, you know, if those that don't help, you trade them for players that will help, but I don't really think you can trust the Pirates for that. But to make my bigger point, with the exception of O'Neill Cruz, who is also, I believe, somewhat tied up with whatever it is that happened in the Dominican Republic that he got involved in, I, I believe it was a, a drunk driving or sexual assault, I can't remember which, and Miguel Yajure, who got who was part of the uh, package that they got for Tyon, and I believe got hurt anyway, there's just not a whole lot of guys ready to reach the major league level. I mean, Cruz is hot. Cruz has never played above Double A. Um, their top among their top five prospects, uh, granted, no one played last year, but Quinn Priester, Nick Gonzalez, Tanaj Thomas, all under 22. Leover Piguero, under 22, under 20, actually. It, it's going to be a little bit. And I mean, on the one hand, like I don't know that you necessarily trust the Pirates to do this all right. The last time they got this, they got an infusion of talent like this, they wasted it pretty bad because they refused to put money into making the roster better beyond that. I don't really see any reason why that's going to change this time around unless Bob Nutting is no longer in charge. But hey, at the very least, they have Cabrian Hayes and they can build around him and Reynolds and maybe a couple of those pitchers turn out. But I think more likely than not, you know, that for as, fr- for as frisky as some of the guys in the team have been, I mean, I don't think, for example, there's any reason that Adam Frazier is going to be a pirate past the deadline. Or Richard Rodriguez. Why not? Or, he's only, what, 29? Why not keep He's only around? 29, but as always, the most important thing with the Pirates is, one, he's up for arbitration uh, next year again. Mm-hmm. It'll be his fifth season of art, but his fifth season under, or sixth season under team control. Um, and so he's due a raise from the $4.3 million he's going to be making this year. And for the Pirates, that might as well be $40 million. Yeah. And he's a free agent after the 2022 season. So they have one year of team control left over him. I would just work to re-sign him. Just lock him up. Like, why? Like, he's not going to change your trajectory. Like, he's a good veteran guy no, to but, have. Like, why not? There's, I guess there's an argument you could make that if you're the Pirates, what's the point? You're going to be bad next year, too, and you're probably going to be bad. you need vets. You need competent baseball players. Like, you just they need do, guys. When people just talk about this with the Orioles and shit, where they're like, yeah, just trade Trey Mancini. I'm like, why? But that's what we see. That's what I'm saying. That's what follows a pattern that all these yeah. tanking teams, or that the tanking teams follow this pattern that they don't care about useful baseball players because there's no point. Pirates are last. They're going to finish last pretty much no matter what. You know, Adam Frazier yeah. doesn't help them for 2021, and he almost certainly doesn't help them be better in 2022. I mean, look, I don't like it. I would rather the, that all teams field competent players so that we're not watching teams like the Orioles and the D-backs fart on themselves out there. But, like, yeah. I, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to guess what the Pirates are going to do, and based on what they've done for pretty much the last forever, Adam Frazier's not going to be a part of this team, maybe past the deadline or, or who knows past then. And guys like Rodriguez, or uh, I guess if anyone's interested in Trevor Kale. I mean, that's kind of the problem is that these teams don't really have a, like, a team like the Pirates doesn't really have a lot to move, yeah. unless there is someone terribly interested in Tyler Anderson or Colin Moran. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I, as is always the case with these rebuilding teams, a lot of these years are just spent determining, okay, who is it we can build around? And I think the most important thing for this Pirates team, at least, is that Hayes looks healthy, Reynolds looks like he's back, or like he's back to closer to the form he was his rookie season. They have some interesting young pitchers in Brube- and JT Brubaker and Ujure if he's healthy, and maybe Will Crow. Um, and hope maybe someday they'll get something out of Mitch Keller that's somewhat consistent, but I don't trust the Pirates, so who knows. We'll see. But I, I, I at least do think they have something in Hayes, and that's better than nothing, because, boy, have they really just not made any of that work otherwise. I think we should trust in Ben Charrington, though. Nothing but success in the past for old Charrington, so I think uh, I think it's gonna be fine. And also, just what a great ownership group! Like that's that's really what you get. That's the thing. Like I I feel like I would be more trustworthy of Ben Charrington if you gave him more money. But then when you give him more money, he makes bad decisions. Mm. So he's actually like, one of those who belongs like, in the Tampa Bay pool. I imagine like Charrington is to a large degree still kind of not coasting, but still eating out eating off of or eating out off of. There we go. Uh, all the work he did in charge of the Red Sox farm system. But it's worth noting when he was GM, their drafts were routinely terrible. Mm. Frank so, Granitis. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, granted, that doesn't necessarily reflect on how things are working with the pirates. It's a different crew, obviously, there. But I. I don't. I'd never loved Sherrington as a GM, and certainly Bob Nutting as an owner is pretty damn terrible. Although I do have to say that the Tyon trade and the Musgrove trade, for as good as Musgrove has been, uh, certainly they got some good young players out of it. Although again, with the Pirates, it's it, it's just hard to give them credit because it never feels genuine. <laughs> it never feels sincere. It always just feels like the wheels are just constantly spinning because there's no it there's no ability to have a payroll that exists beyond thirty million dollars or whatever it is. I mean, the pay, their payroll right now. For twenty, in terms of guaranteed money, they're spending the season is forty-one million dollars. That's it. Mm. Pirates have four million dollars guaranteed on their payroll in twenty twenty-two and zero in twenty twenty-three. Yeah, they're really something. And granted, like they have a lot of arb costs coming up in twenty twenty-three, but even adding all of those arb costs up, you're still probably getting no more than like, she's a hundred some million dollars in arb, and that's if they if that's if they offer arbitration to. Everyone, and I can already see, like, just looking at this list, you know, TJ Rivera, Wilmer Defoe, uh, Andrew Susack, you know, Tyler Bachelor. These are not guys who are going to get offered ARB. Like, of their, I don't know, 15 ARB eligible guys in 2023, they'll probably keep a grand total of five. You know, this is not a team that's going to spend, and that's just what always makes talking about the Pirates both kind of depressing and pointless. It's, it's, it's always waiting for the future. And yeah, the future looks good. They have great prospects, but are they actually going to put the money and the work in? to do better than what they did when the last time they had this kind of uh, young player bonanza. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, like, uh, what was it, Big Data Baseball? Is that the one on uh, the Pirates with Huntington from a couple years ago? Saw check wrote. I want to say that's Big Data Baseball, right? Something like that. It was really good. And it was just, like, one of those things where the Huntington stuff, it just fell off a cliff really quickly, but he was a really solid GM for a long yeah. time there. And they had a good thing going, and then it just well, he uh, fizzled out really quickly. He was a solid GM working with the constraints he had, which was yeah. constantly try to find productive players for pennies. Yeah. And that work, like you can be, if you're a smart GM, you can make that work, but it, that can't be the only way you do it because yeah. that's just not feasible. You can't, you can't win on a dollar every time. Sometimes well, you got to on the Tampa Rays that. can, as Mike Francesa pointed out today, well, the- your old friend. <sighs> I said that to you earlier. What did, what did you make yeah. of that? Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, he's right. They're a smart franchise. It's, yeah. I, there's no point in pretending otherwise. Like the thing, I think the issue people have with the Rays, or at least the issue I've had with the Rays, isn't they're like a dumb team or anything. It's that they could be so much better if they just spent money and added stars to the depth they have. Just one or two I, years, they would probably have a ring by this point. Like, it, yeah, it's the difference between a I ring mean, and just being really good. And I know there's like you can already like I'm gonna just the chatters like oh look what they got for Blake Snell who's not even pitching all that well but it's like that's not even the point it's like the point is the the process not the process behind it because the process is theoretically sound but I mean this is a team that is getting or that is what, first in the American League East 19 games over 500 all of it legit by Pythagorean win loss record aren't they first in baseball um, sorry aren't they first in baseball I think they're, they're first, first in baseball yeah. And it's a no-stars approach. Depending yeah. on how you feel about Randy Rosarena and Tyler Glass now in terms of stars, it really is all just depth. It was just crazy when you consider how many pitchers they've lost to injury and how many guys they've had to... like. Their bullpen has Andrew Kitteridge, Jeffrey Springs, and Colin McEwen and is somehow a functional good bullpen. That makes no sense. <laughs> how do they do this? How do they do this? I've given up trying to explain the Rays because I don't get it. They very clearly are just capable of anything. They took Francisco Mejia, who legit could not hit at all with San Diego, and turned him into a good backup. They called up Taylor Walls, who is a perfectly fine prospect, but you know would have been kind of average in any system, a 121 OPS plus so far through 21 games. G-Man Choi has a 177 OPS plus. Joey Wendell has a 142 OPS plus. This team is ridiculous. This team is absolutely ridiculous with the stuff that they pull off. It's very irritating. I think I would appreciate it a lot more if they were the only team doing this and no one else is trying to be the race. You know what I mean? Like, I think if they were a novelty, it would actually be kind of cool. But the fact that there are so many franchises like, oh, we could be like the Yankees. But what if we were the race? You don't want to root for a team that's cheap. Nobody wants to root for a team that's cheap. You want to root for a winner, but ideally you want to root for a team also that when they have that opportunity to make a move, they make a move. And it's just when are the Rays going to do that? I mean, you look at what the Rays are now, and if you want to try to identify, okay, where can the Rays 
make some improvements or add some stuff or whatever. I mean, it, it's the Rays. They're not going to make a big move. But if you think anything, it's like, okay, let's let's find an extra starter right now, especially now with Glass now potentially down with an elbow injury. Like a, a rotation of Ryan Yarbrough, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, Shane McClanahan, and Josh Fleming, assuming that's what they go while Glass now is out. Uh, that's not doing it. Like I, 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 I know you know we. This is this basically the same Rays team that came within two wins or whatever it was of winning the World Series. Fine, but that's just not a good enough rotation for the postseason unless you're leaning on your bullpen super heavy. And again, then you run into that same problem. This is a good bullpen now, but you know how many of these guys do you feel comfortable with? You know, do you feel comfortable throwing Jeffrey Springs and Andrew Kitteridge into high leverage situations if that's what it calls for? But look at the AL I don't know, right and we now. saw it last. Like the White Sox are just dropping like flies. Like that team, that, saw- it, they're dropping like flies. The Yankees can't figure it out. The Red Sox, I think, have their their flaws, and we'll get into them in a second. But you look at the AL as a whole; like they're still a pretty easy path to them making it to the World Series. Again. Sure, they're sh- I, sure, and I don't doubt that. I think this is probably the AL pen in favor right now. It's either them or Houston. But I think what stands out with the Rays for me is, and we saw it last year during the postseason, that their entire offense revolved around Randy Rosarena because they do not have re- like. They don't have that reliable star hitter. To me, it feels like the Rays are perfectly built and geared toward grinding out the regular season because they have endless depth. They are very smart about matchups. They're very smart about platooning. They're very smart about getting the guy, getting guys in the right situations. They're defensively super sound. They're well managed. They, it, it just works. You know, all their, 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 their stuff works better in the regular season though than in the postseason. I think. And part of that is because they have a lineup that, while it is good in places, you really don't have those reliable, kind of bankable hitters that I feel like you need in those moments. And you saw that difference last year with with regards to the Dodgers and the Rays. The Rays had their approach, and the Dodgers had the Rays' approach, but they also had stars. And, I mean, I I think I've said this before. To me, the Dodgers are the ultimate kind of endpoint of what the Rays' approach is, is you take you marry their ability to find depth and to get the best possible matchup with the money and the investment necessary to do stuff like, okay, we're also going to trade for Mookie Betts and we're going to sign Trevor Bauer and we're going to, you know, bring back Justin Turner and et cetera, et cetera. You know, we're going to be able to afford to keep the guys who are the consistent star performers. So that come playoff time, we don't have to rely on Randy or Rosarena playing completely out of his mind, you know, or we don't have to rely on Joey Wendell suddenly having a career season at age 31 and keeping it up. Or we don't have to rely on whatever it is. You know, they're, it, it is complicated for the Rays, I think is the best way to put it. I think it's complicated because of the fact that they are, like the Pirates, they are who they are. And I, I think that just makes it personally hard for me to talk about the Rays because I just find them so frustrating. <laughs> it, it's frustrating only in the sense that this is a very good team that if they spent any amount of money more would be probably the World Series favorite. You know, if, if they made that F, because, I mean, you look at their, their payroll right now is $48 million. That's it. That's it. That's all they're paying in, in money this season. Yeah. You know, uh, in terms, at least in terms of guaranteed money. How hard would that be to bump that up to add one more pitcher? Or one more hitter? You know, if, if the Twins really decide they're they're totally out of it and finished. Don't you owe it, even if Austin Meadows is probably the more regular DH at this point as opposed to playing in the outfield, don't you owe it to to what this roster is and to what few Tampa Bay fans exist uh, to go after a guy like Nelson Cruz? Doesn't I mean, doesn't that just make sense for the Rays anyway to get that big power bat in the middle of that lineup to do that, to do that heavy lifting? Yeah, but I, we, we both know they're not going to do that, John. No, no and, that's and not that's, who the Rays are. And they're, no, they're but, it, but that's they're the not thing. It should be. There's no reason it can't be. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, the, I guess the problem there is if you do get a DH, I mean, I, I just threw Nelson Cruz out there without really fully thinking about it. Then it's like, I okay, can't wait for the Twins fire sale. They have so many interesting guys to move. They have so many interesting guys. They could well, they spin, have, they a, have, they could spin they have, a pennant. To me, they have one interesting veteran they can move, and that's Cruz. And they have a lot of interesting non-veteran guys they can move if that's the direction they want to go. I just have a hard time seeing that being the direction that they're going to go. Was that D Gordon in center last night? Uh, no, Nick Gordon's brother. Nick Gordon. Okay. I saw that yeah. and I was like, <laughs> I looked at that cause I, I don't know if you saw Jake Bowers. So I'm running against the Mariners, uh, <clears throat> or against the, the twins last night, but he's a cool story. Like former blue chip prospect and he's bounced around and he'd been moving around a lot this week from Cleveland to Seattle and he had a big Homer and 
just another flag guy. Would you like to guess if Jerry Depoto's team has uh, had the most roster pieces in 2021 for the MLB season? What would you guess? They're probably up there. I know the Blue Jays have made a lot of roster moves. They're very Mariners high up number one, John. Yeah, I, I mean, it's never a bad idea to bet against Jerry <laughs> Depoto in that capacity. Um, Speaking of teams and people who will not change, Jerry Depoto. Um, Alex Anthopoulos, John Taylor, did an interview with old friend Jeff Schultz of The Athletic. And he had a little interesting nugget in there. The interview was okay as a whole. I have my problems with it. But um, it's a, it, like Anthopoulos dropped this little gem, which was Soroka, Travis Darno, and Yaskar Noah um could all return in august soroka is apparently not going to need any more surgery and he's doing some stuff right now that lends it to being a possibility that he comes back in august darno being back in august he made it clear that they're not going to trade for catcher and like when fans especially brave fans who get mad about that i'm like have you looked around the league who are they trading for the catcher position has never been more depleted, I think, in Major League Baseball in my lifetime. And it's just like there's nothing to do. So William Contreras having to bypass AAA as a whole. You have Shea Langerhans. I don't know how to pronounce his last name down there. Langerhans. I don't think it's Langerhans because Langerhans was a former Brave. Not spelled the oh, no, same. No, that's Ryan Langerhans. Langoliers. Sorry, Shea yeah, Langoliers. That's what it is. Like Langoliers. I, yeah. I got him up with Ryan Lager, Langerhans. Oh, I know. Trust me. That's what I used to do when I was reading the reports. I, in my head, I would just, I would read it. But then in my brain, my dumb brain, I would just be like Langerhans. Um, yeah. So you have that. And you know, uh, being gone, it's obviously hurt them a lot more than I thought coming into the year. But I do think it's interesting. Those three are all on the table to return in August. What, it, what do you make of that, John? I mean, I, I imagine, you know, it would be just because a broken hand is not season ending unless you really, really break it. And I forget what Darno's injury was, but it, it didn't also did not have the vibe of season ending to it. So I figured those two would be back. Soroka is a surprise and probably the nicest surprise there uh, because, you know, this does feel like a rotation that could use one more arm capable. I mean, not not just one, two. And, and you know, it should help in that regard, too, because, you know, more, Charlie Morton's been very uneven. Drew Smiley just does not look like what the Braves thought they were going to get out of him. His strikeout rate is down. He's lying too many home runs, too much hard contact. Max Fried has been fine. Uh, but I think Max Fried is also one of those guys where, given the lack of strikeout stuff, you're always it always feels like it's kind of on the, on the razor's edge with him. And the peripherals suggest that he's not been terribly unlucky. He's just not been all that good. Uh, right now, it's pretty much the Ian Anderson show, as far as I can tell, and the new boy Tucker Davidson. But we'll see how, that, how long that keeps up. Um... I think those obviously if those guys all come back healthy, that's a huge boost for the Braves, especially the rotation, as I noted. Darno too, if only because, you know, asking a 23 year old catcher who's never played in AAA to keep playing at a major league level for a contender does not really seem like fair to William Contreras or to the Braves for that matter. That's he's done an admirable job holding down the fort, but I don't think that's a, a smart bet to keep going. Um obviously I think if you're gonna look at one more thing that the Braves probably need beyond that, it's an outfielder. Um, some of that is just getting getting guys healthy and just having more depth back. Um, but some of that too is with Ozuna out for however long he's Fucking out. Fucking ever. Hand. Like I yeah, swear, I, I just, if I he's mean, that's ever. That's the other assumption. That's the other assumption is yeah. we obviously we don't know the details fully of his uh, domestic violence arrest, but it's a pretty safe bet that that's going to keep him out. No, for have a you bit. read the report? Like it's pretty open and cut. It, like it's a it's an open okay, and cut I, I, I had a, I had actually I had assumed that there was that we had not gone the full thing. I. I I, I didn't read the full report when it came out. That's my fault. But okay. So, uh, but either way, I was, I, I was swear, I don't even like, I am going to go apoplectic if he is ever allowed to play baseball again, or especially, especially ever in a Braves uniform. It's gone. Yeah, that's that's going to be something where I think it's probably just safest to write Ozuna off for the rest of the season. I, I don't think that there's going to be anything coming there, especially because I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, do domestic violence suspensions come with playoff, uh, playoff bans now too, or is that only PEDs? I'm not sure about that. I have to. I feel I like they tweaked that, that, but I I can't remember. Well, it's yeah, also too. You know, it's weird about his contract when he was the last major signing of the Big Four. Um, they backloaded his contract a bunch hmm. so they could fit like their payroll and make it work this year, like to fit in Morton and Smiley and everything else. So they put a bunch of money on the back end of Osuna's contract. So I have no idea how that's going to work. Like I have yeah, no, that'll be it's going to be a mess. But yeah, I mean, you d- you definitely just don't want to be going into whatever postseason the Braves might be going into if they you know turn it around and, and get either into first place or into a wild card spot with a with Ronald Acuna uh, playing alongside Guillermo Heredia and I guess Ender Inciarte. So I think, well, and especially because like you noted, uh, like Almonte catcher 
catcher is not something that I think the Braves are going to be able to upgrade easily. And rotation upgrades, everyone's always going to be looking for pitching upgrades. And the Braves might have two in-house coming relatively soon after the deadline anyway. So I feel like they're probably going to focus on who's the best outfielder we can get our hands on. And maybe if there's some other if there's some relief help out there because Will Smith hasn't looked great. Josh Tomlin hasn't been very good. A.J. Minter has taken a step back. You know, you, you can't rely on Tyler Matzik and Luke John, Luke Jackson forever. Um, Luke Jackson's or, been or the, okay. Yeah. Or the Shane recently scares survived me. Shane Green. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. But I, I do think that's obviously good news for the Braves, if nothing else, because if Enoa and Soroka and Darno do come back healthy, that's two fewer positions that they need to worry about, and they can focus all their resources on Let's get a bit. Let's get an upgrade in the outfield, and let's get some more depth, particularly in the bullpen. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the ten-game ban for the sticky stuff that's coming, John? Really laying the uh, hammer down here. Yeah, and it's it, it's not surprising that this is what MLB is doing. I I know Buster only had a piece out that basically suggested that MLB doesn't really have any interest in kind of wanting to go hard on this or wanting to enforce it. I think that's why a lot of the enforcement is being left up to the umpires. Which is just going to, I guarantee, is going to be a mess. Everything about this just feels like it's going to be a sloppy mess. In part because this feels like MLB is just throwing a solution, not the solution, just any solution at the problem as quickly as it can think of. Because they, I think at this point MLB just wants this to go away. Much like every other scandal and problem they've dealt with, I think the league's overwhelming desire here is, one, make this go away. And two, make it look like we were in control and in charge the whole time. Because I don't think there's anything Rob Manfred's MLB can abide less than MLB doesn't know what it's doing. Which, honestly, to me, seems routinely and more and more like the reasoning behind a lot of what's gone wrong with baseball lately is Rob Manfred and MLB just don't seem to know what they're doing. Or they don't seem to care what they're doing. Everything about the sticky stuff with from regards to, to how, how it's kind of spiraled out of control to this point is something MLB could have stopped a long time ago. It was not exactly uh, – this wasn't something that was happening you know, with, without anyone noticing. This was all in ver- more or less in the open under the league's nose in terms of not just using sticky substances like uh, mixing sunscreen and rosin or, or or stuff like that, the kind of accepted sticky substances that, that players have been using for a long time. But it's hard to imagine that the league did not know that things were getting were going beyond that. I mean, you, I don't know if you saw the both the Sports Illustrated stories by by Stephanie Epstein and Alex Pruitt, which were, which were both great. But in particular, the one about the Angels clubhouse attendant Bubba Hankins or Harkins, I believe, who was pretty openly just selling his mixture of sticky stuff to some of the best pitchers in baseball, all of whom were identified or are identifiable via text message or some other form of communication. He's the one who gets fired. By the Angels, and I believe, uh, well, no, he he tried to sue for wrongful termination, but it was uh, thrown out. He's the one who gets fired by the Angels. None of these pitchers get disciplined. And I think you can just see it there that MLB really doesn't want to. And I I think it's probably similar to what kind of happened with steroids is MLB doesn't want to make an example of its stars. Or better said, it doesn't want to be it doesn't want the headlines to be Garrett Cole suspended for using sticky stuff. Trevor Bauer suspended for using sticky stuff. Uh, Shane Bieber, and I, I shouldn't say Bieber because we don't know we don't know what he's been doing. But like, just to give you, they want they don't want big names associated with this stuff. So they'd rather I think throw this out there and be like, we are giving you all fair warning. You get caught, it's ten games, and it's whatever. It's not you know, it's not just uh, spider tack, which you know you think would have been really easy to ban in the first place, given that it's not it's it's for weightlifting and it's insane. Um, but everything because they just I think they just want this out. I think the enforcement's going to be a mess because I think MLB, again, is just in the position of this is your last warning. Get rid of it because we don't want to hand out suspensions. You know, we just want this gone. Um, and that's – I get it. But at the same time, like I said, this is this is a problem that MLB could have done away with a long time ago. And that they haven't has now put them in this position where they're going to be forcing these umpires to make all these annoying judgment calls. I love the bit in there that's about how managers can be punished if they ask for a bad faith uh, sticky substance examination, which I can't wait for the first time that happens. I want to take bets on which manager is going to make that accusation first. It is 100% going to be Joe Madden. I am so excited to watch Joe Madden get get ejected from a game for bad faith asking for a sticky substance check. I am going to laugh so hard I throw up. It's going to be really funny. But... None of this really, sh- none of this should be happening because, again, it was 
all MLB had to do was, was pay attention and enforce the rules already on the books, and this wouldn't be happening. And really, it's only happening, I think, because MLB is so embarrassed about how bad offense has gotten and about how badly both Cole and Bauer have essentially rubbed it in the in the, their face that they could do this and get away with it. That and, and this is just kind of, I think, how MLB responds to this stuff is just overwhelming force especially with the way Manfred goes, because you saw this kind of same playbook for for biogenesis and for all the other PED stuff that was happening at the time, which is by whatever means necessary, this disappears. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that that I think is the primary. Obviously, well, the primary goal of this is to get it out of the sport. But I think the way you're seeing it deployed is that MLB is telling these guys, you, you we've given you we've given you an opportunity. Get rid of it. And if you don't, heads are going to roll. So. Yeah, I, I, again, MLB could have just stopped this sooner, but that's Rob Manfred. He's, he's, I just don't think he cares about these things until it's too late, and that's the problem. Yeah, and I think we'll have to see if it affects ratings. Um, yeah, and of it, course, that's 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 the other aspect of this is you know now that you're taking away not just the the really sticky stuff, but all the grip enhancing stuff, mm-hmm. including the stuff guys have been using forever. Did you to see McCutcheon? Some semblance uh, of control. Did you see McCutcheon tweet about that today? Yeah, I think guys are legitimately worried. And I've seen like <laughs> Jerry Blevins tweeting about guys are, and I think teams have already been saying, I believe in Jeff Passan's story, he noted that teams have been asking their players, pitch without this stuff because we need to know what it's like. You know, I think there's legitimate worry among players that this is not going to be safe. And I think it's worth noting, too, that of all the parties in agreement on that 10-game ban, you really you didn't see anything there from the Players Association. You saw the league. You saw the umpires association, but you didn't see anything involving the the players association. I think this has all kind of been done really without their input or without their consideration, because it always felt to me like the simplest solution for for all of everyone in MLB was for the league to say, we know this stuff is being used. We're okay with you with you guys using sunscreen and rosin or whatever it is. That's an accepted long time thing. You know, we know it's being used to help you so you don't like uncork a 95 mile an hour fastball at someone's head. You know, that's one thing. We just want spider tack and all that other extreme stuff out of the game. I think there could have been some middle ground reached if there had been a little more consideration and thought. And if this hadn't, especially if this hadn't been done in such kind of a panicky way where you got the sense that MLB was just trying to make something happen as soon as possible to get this over. You know, I think if there had been some middle ground of we can create a league approved solution to help you with your grip or we can do something with the ball or, or something. Instead, they're just going to flash this out in the middle of the season without any real, with only the minimum advance warning for a bunch of guys who've probably been using this stuff for as long as they've been able to use it. And I think overall, like, yes, getting the extreme sticky stuff out of the game is probably for the best. But I just feel like the execution and the deployment of this, again, as per usual, then will be slapdash and just not really considering what are the long-term ramifications of this it does feel like every rule change and every other change that mlb makes no one is sitting down and being like but what's going to happen a year from now what what dominoes is this going to knock over it's just this desperate attempt to to fix a solution without considering what is this going to create down the road yeah it's it's rather frustrating john um speaking of frustrating Arizona Diamondbacks fans who went into this year, you know, they they were like, maybe we could be the Giants. What happened to the Giants this year? Maybe we could do that. We can just, everything rolls our way. Everything that, we're just going to be Babbitt ball stars. Um, that has not happened. They are on pace, John, as of this recording, to go 48 and 114 this season. Ugh. That's rough. And I think, you know, you look at that roster and it's just, but you it's and I not did a... not have this coming into the year. We were like, they'll they'll be bad, but they'll they'll be a, like yeah, thought, ten games under five hundred. Like They're not going to be, be like historically. a seventy five to eighty win team at best. Yeah, yeah. I did not expect the Rockies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did not expect them to be worse than the Rockies. I think if you look at the roster now, it makes sense. A lot of that offense has either been hurt or is old and unproductive, and they've had to rely a lot on guys like. I mean, they had to sign Josh Reddick off the street. That's mm. just never a good sign. Um, obviously they've had a lot of injury issues to deal with, particularly in the rotation. They're down Bumgarner and Weaver, or they're down Bumgarner and Luke Weaver and Zach Allen. And it's really hard to think of any team that's going to do all that well when you take out three of its top five, uh, starting pit, starting rotation options. And on top of that, the bullpen is just not good. And that's, I mean, there's some things we, you, you could have seen coming into the season that you would have gone, Hey, that's not great. The bullpen is not great. Uh, the offense was not projected to be great. 
the rotation beyond Gallon and maybe Bumgarner was going to be pretty average at best. But again, like we both thought that added up to like 75 wins. Um, I think obviously the injuries have played a role. I think, you know, there's just not really any expecting ultimately guys like Nick Ahmed or, uh, or is, I mean, not as real Cabrera, but you know, Tim LaCastro really to be useful hitters. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is just something too, where it's like, there wasn't that long ago you looked at the Diamondbacks as kind of this like quiet pseudo contender and they have just gone backwards in every possible direction. Um, I think at the very least their farm system is not the worst. Um, they have a farm system that has, I know Corbin Carroll got hurt and is going to miss what's what the, the entirety of the season. And that's very bad for him, but otherwise you've still got, uh, you still got Christian Robinson available. You've, st- and I should also know, and this is probably the bigger, a big problem with Arizona too. A lot of these prospects are not particularly close to the majors at the moment. You know, Corbin Carroll, Christian Robinson, Alec Thomas, Geraldo Perdomo, all in A ball. Uh, Slate Ciccone, their uh, fifth ranked prospect by our by our list. Also, you know, all those guys never have never been above A ball up until now. Slate Ciccone was in rookie ball the last time he played. They have a lot of a lot of guys who are pretty far from the majors right now. Um, the guys who are close to the majors you've already seen, and most of them haven't really done anything. So. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. This this Diamondbacks team now looks like it's probably at least a couple years away from returning to any real kind of relevance. And it's sad because, again, this team really did look like it had something a few years ago. But then they got cheap. And and that's kind of the other thing is, like, you look at this roster now, and with the exception of, of Bumgarner, a contract that didn't really look great at the time and just increasingly looks bad now, and for whatever reason, the extension given to Nick Ahmed... There's not a whole lot of money tied up in this team either next year or beyond. They have $93 million on the books right now. A lot of that is Bumgarner and Ahmed. I can't imagine they're going to find too many interested parts. I mean, I think they'll probably try to unload David Peralta and Eduardo Escobar at the deadline, get some of that money off the books and guys who just are not part of the future going forward. But they at the very least have some money to operate. But I think that's also kind of why they're here is they got cheap. You know, they, that lineup does not really have impact hitters in it beyond Kettle Marte and ostensibly Carson Kelly. So this Carson is Kelly this is the end up. result. Well, Carson Kelly's also been slumping badly since I believe mid-May. So there's that's a problem. Mm, that's not good. And the funny thing is it, it really did look like there for a bit too that the Diamondbacks had actually gotten the better of the Paul Goldschmidt trade between Weaver and Kelly. And now Weaver's Weaver was terrible last year and has been hurt this year. Kelly had a great start and has been weak since. I mean, it, it helps obviously that, that Goldschmidt has hit what seemingly looks like, or he's having a bad season. I don't want to say he's, he's on the downslope of his career now. There's no way to know. But certainly the walk rate seems to be down. The strikeout rate seems to be up. You know, things don't look great over on that side of things. But regardless, like, yeah, this is a Diamondbacks team that I think is probably at a point where some kind of retrenchment is coming, if it hasn't already. And we're probably not going to be seeing a lot of them being competitive for the next couple of seasons, I would guess. Get excited, d fans. I think this, this is the perfect time. To- that. I think this just pushed them into that space faster. Sorry, is what I wanted to finish up with. Yeah, uh, this is the perfect time. Uniform change when you want people to forget that uh, your team sucks. The the easy way to get them excited again is to to switch those jerseys up. Let's go back I, to the purple. Let's get back purple and pinstripes. Let's go. I have thoughts and feelings about the Diamondbacks jersey change. I well, two of them specifically. One, I actually I like the look. I like the gold. I like the the cursive fonts. I think they're just good looking jerseys. The current ones might. My issue is more with a team that is based in Arizona, which is one of the more, <laughs> how do we put this, uh, minority unfriendly states in our in our great union, at least in terms, especially in terms of the ways they treat uh, Spanish speaking, their Spanish speaking citizens or immigrants or what have you. So I, I just do have kind of an, an irk or I feel my, like somewhat irked at the idea of the Diamondbacks utilizing Spanish for their identity when the franchise itself seemingly can't be bothered to stand up for the Spanish-speaking citizens of Arizona in the first place by doing stuff like advocating against the against the uh, election restriction bills the Arizona uh, the Arizona state government's trying to pass or trying to be better about help. I, I don't know. It's that that, but that's my particular frustration. But I do like the jerseys though; they're good-looking jerseys. I can't do it. I don't like them at all. They, I, I really yeah. can't stand the current ones. They look like uh, I can get. It. They're not perfect. I don't know, just not not my not my cup of tea. Um, what is my cup of tea though? 
is the Baltimore Orioles stat of How do we day. always talk about the Orioles? How do we always end up talking about the Orioles? John, we're we're keeping the Baltimore Orioles in business. Like, uh, we we are doing so much for the Baltimore Orioles and their relevance. But also, I read way too much Baltimore Orioles stuff. I think they're it's because they are covered so well. They deserve a good team because they're actually covered really well. And there's a lot of great blogs and a lot of great uh, Orioles writers. Um, they have lost 16 straight on the road after last night. But okay. Brandon Hyde, I don't know if you saw this. Nope. Their manager, he got thrown out last mm-hmm. night. For being okay. loudly wrong, um, we we see okay. this a lot in baseball. As one we've does. seen this before, skippers they get mm-hmm. uh, thrown out for being loudly wrong. Love to be loudly wrong. When we're talking about legislating stuff out of the game and we're fixing stuff, this is something that is just dumb. Because if you watch the play, it's clear. I forgot which Indian got hit on the hand, but one quick replay. See it at hand, moves on to first base, um, bans the runners, but. Um, he was not convinced and thought that he was a check swing and it hit the bat and it should have been a strike. Replay showed very quickly. Not that. Got hit in the hand. Clearly, he's got, he hit by pitch, first base. Then you have the uh, Kramer, who was the uh, the pitcher uh, for the, the Orioles last night, uh, young guy. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, it felt really good, actually, uh, said of Kramer of his skipper's passion. He shows that he cares a lot, and he wants us to get out of the stretch as much as we do. He shows he is standing back behind our team. Why is it 2021 and managers just getting themselves tossed and just yelling angrily, even when they're clearly wrong, just applauded by all all athletes, like all the baseball players? They still love it. Why? I want this legislator out of the game. We got to get moved. Like... No more manager arguments. You can't do this anymore. You can't come out and argue a call. You can't do any of these the the ump shows, the managerial just meltdowns. We don't need to do this anymore. I, I just what, what I, this drives me nuts. I hated this whole little bit and I hated the whole thing and it drives me nuts. I this is my hill to die on. I don't want this anymore. It's silly. We don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, I mean there there really is. I mean it I mean, this is, the rule's been on the books for all, right? You come out, I mean, if umpires come out to, or umpires, if managers come out to argue balls and strikes, they're immediately ejected because that's within the umpire's discretion. And they, they, there's also no way to, I mean, what's the point? I do think umpires, or umpires again, geez, managers arguing replay is probably, like you said, in a similar vein of stupid. Like, what what are they going to do? Re-replay it? You know, they're going to look at it again? Like, at this point, like, you know, you, you have to accept what it is. And I can understand being mad if you think, if it's an egregiously blown call or something, and maybe... I don't know. I didn't see the play. Maybe maybe Brandon Hyde didn't see the play either in full and then was convinced it was a blown call. And then afterwards, he's like, ah, oh, crap, I made an ass of myself. But I mean, but guys are always going to like that. They always want the manager out there, like fired up for them, especially a team like the Orioles when they're not playing well and they're losing all the time and they're in last place and nobody cares. I think it's probably nice for those guys to see at least the manager still cares. Um, I know up here in, in New York, there's been a lot of chatter, endless chatter, nonstop chatter about the Yankees and what's wrong with them and how, you know, Aaron Boone's particular demeanor during all of this, which is to say, you know, he's not a guy who's going out there and, and throwing Lou Pinella style tantrums, whether or not that's kind of the right fit for where this Yankees team is, which is to say they seem very kind of checked out and kind of defeated. So I got to imagine that, you know, if just to say, like, I do really think that players Fans definitely appreciate it. I think reporters take note of it, and I think players do do appreciate it as well, even if the um, even if the manager is wrong. I almost did it again. But I do agree with you generally that, I mean, there are a lot of changes I feel like replay needs, but it does feel like if the replay, once the replay call is made, if you argue that, you just, you're tossed, and that's the end of that, and you got to get off the field, because it's already, it feels like it's already been long enough. Why are you still trying to to, to fight something that is already decided at this point? This is why I'm not a professional athlete, John, because... While all my teammates would be celebrating my manager fighting, fighting for our guys, I would be on my phone in the dugout looking at it and like, no, what? What are we? Are what? He clearly got hit in the hand. And what again, are we doing? And it, which is not to say that every Oriole necessarily feels the same way. I'm pretty sure, yeah. I'm sure there are probably guys on that team who saw what Hyde was doing as either ridiculous or eyewash or just too much of having the ass or whatever it is. But I think on the whole, players appreciate, especially again, I think for a losing team that really doesn't have anything to play for and is had been getting its ass kicked left and right, I think there probably is an appreciation of, hey, our manager's still sticking up for us. He's still getting loud and, and fighting for us. You know, he, he hasn't given up on us, basically. 
And I think especially yes. for a team full of young guys, too, I think they appreciate that to see, hey, this guy doesn't just think we're just here for whatever and he doesn't care and he hasn't checked out. You know, he's still he still cares. We should still care. That's fair. Uh, last thing I want to I want to touch on this Tuesday afternoon edition of the podcast, John, your Boston Red Sox um, mm. won on a walk off last night with Mr. Devers uh, got yep. close top of the ninth with the Vlad Guerrero moonshot. Huge exit velocity on that uh, bomber. Uh, was Big it off Barnes? Was, it was off Matt Barnes. Yeah. Um, Evaldi, though, pitched really well. He got dinged up by Houston last week, but he pitched pretty solid last night. Um, but entering Monday, the Red Sox starters were 0-4 with a 12.0 ERA, 10 home runs allowed, and a 400 uh, opponent batting average in their past six games. Evaldi was the last winner since june 4th that comes from mlb.com uh what uh what do you make of the rotation right now because you were so out on this rotation john but this rotation it's very fascinating to me the red sox rotation as a whole is very fascinating so uh is avadi turning the corner is the rotation better than you expected is it sustainable where are you at with this i mean i it's funny to see people with regards to the Red Sox rotation, bring up the idea of, well, now that MLB's cracking down on sticky substances, is that affecting the Red Sox? I mean, I know they're saying it because Alex Cora is prominently involved here and there's no reason to trust Alex Cora. But you don't need to bring up sticky stuff to, to try to explain why the Red Sox starters are suddenly bad. This is a rotation with Nate Uvalde, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Richards, Martin Perez, and who am I forgetting as a fifth starter? Uh, Eddie Rodriguez. That's a really high-variance rotation. That is a rotation where, like, and I, I've, I don't know, I don't remember if I said this at the beginning of the season, but it's definitely how I felt. This is a rotation that has a high floor, or a high ceiling, rather, and a really low floor. Because those are five really inconsistent guys. I made the joke online that it feels like every Red Sox starter finishes with five innings, three earned runs allowed on three walks and five strikeouts. That's, that's the Nick Pavetta. That's what happens when you get guys who have never had or have not shown regular consistency, or who are projects like Pavetta, or who are guys who are kind of working with diminished stuff like Richards, or you know never been healthy, or we're just flat out fifth starters at best like Martin Perez, the Occam's Razor here, man. These are not like these are not five Max's Scherzer, you know. These are five guys who would be n- number four in the Dodgers rotation, all of them if they even made it. That's probably what you should be expecting from five guys who would be the back of a rotation of any contender. That was always going to be the problem for the Red Sox this season. Is the pitching good enough? Is their pitching deep enough? And I think so far the answer has been the pitching has been good enough, but I don't think it's – but I think especially in kind of a similar vein to what I said about the Rays and not having that kind of reliable, dependable bat, the Red Sox do not have that reliable, dependable arm. I think Yavaldi's probably the best they get in that capacity, and Yavaldi's are really – and I think Yavaldi's probably at best like a number two or number three starter. Granted, I don't want to – some of this, too, is they had to face the Blue Jays and the Astros in the last week and the Braves, and they get the Braves again. June was always going to be a tough month for this Red Sox team because they had to face a lot of really good teams in there, plus the Yankees, who even when they're not good are still capable. So, you know, I, I don't want to discount that because that's obviously going to do a number having to face Houston and Toronto and Atlanta on anyone's pitching numbers. But I do think this is probably what – they're not as bad as they are now. They're not as good as they were before. They're somewhere in the middle. This is probably a league average rotation when it's all said and done. I think for me the interesting thing is going to be how much does Bloom believe in what this rotation is and does he want to add something to it, especially some of that's going to depend on where Chris Sale is right now. I know he just started throwing again. It's going to depend on how long he takes to rehab, how strong he feels, if there are any setbacks, whether or not they feel he's more useful to them as a guy who's maybe only throwing three or four innings as a starter or working more as a two-inning reliever or something like that. It remains to be seen, but I, I do think I want to keep an eye on Boston with regards to that rotation because I do think that's uh, and Tanner Houck is an option there too if he gets healthy. But yeah, the, the depth is not really there right now, and it's kind of hard to say that you can trust any one of these guys, you know, in a in a playoff start. So you know, do you go out looking for that, or do you kind of just ride with them as far as they can go, with the expectation that you know we make the playoffs great, and if we don't, well, it's a bridge year. It's not the worst thing in the world. Especially in a division where you have Toronto and Tor- uh, Toronto and Tampa and New York all fighting with you, that it's it's going to be really hard to win the division, and it's going to be really hard to get a wild card spot with those teams involved too. I need to bring back the skinny king. I miss my my tall skinny king, the lanky, yeah. the lanky lefty that I he's a big, way he's, too much with. 
He's a big lanky weirdo. That's true. <laughs> um, John Taylor, what can uh, we check out from you this week on Twitter, on Fangrass? What should people, what should the good folks uh, check out at a, that very good website? Uh, Fangrass. Well, today we've got Dan Zimborski talking about how Vlad Jr. could very well be the could very well pull off a triple crown. Uh, we got Jay Jaffe writing about how Baseball Reference has added all the Negro League stats. Uh, or expanded its Negro League stats as part of the whole the Negro Leagues are the minor are the major leagues uh, push that MLB has made by adopting Negro Leagues as part of official MLB history. Uh, we got our first mock draft ahead of July. I keep forgetting the draft is in July now. It's a really weird month to do the draft. Uh, first mock draft is out from Eric Longenhagen and Kevin Goldstein. Some surprise there. Some uh, both Vandy Boy, neither Vandy Boy going number one. Mm. I actually kind of like it. Jack Leiter falling all the way to number four to Boston. You love to see it. Oh, is Max Ferguson um, number one? Blade Tridwell? Uh, uh, Marcelo Spitz? Mayer, I believe. The mm. high school shortstop out of California. Not I Jay Crocker. Not who Eric Gagey had first. Jordan Beck. Um, Are you just naming Tennessee baseball players? <laughs> I can't even help you at this point. I, I've watched zero college baseball, so you're you're you're... Your your attempts to make me realize the error of my ways are, are just not working. You're missing out, man. It's been a delight. And yes, I mean, I'm this, sure I'll I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll tune in now that we are in Omaha. Now that the regionals are guess who's there? T- uh, is it Tennessee? Tennessee is in. Are we? Is there any chance we get a Tennessee Vandy showdown in Omaha? Uh, I haven't looked at the brackets. I think there is a very strong like the fact that Arkansas, the number one team all year long, was just uh knocked out in the super regional. Pretty pretty crazy stuff. Um, the, I I love college baseball. And will you will you go to Omaha for your for your volunteers? I I cannot I cannot nah. make the travel unfortunately. But no, that'd be that'd be cool, man. That would really be cool to be there. That's a bucket list thing. Um, college baseball World Series, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, so it's it's gonna be fun, and I think it's gonna be it's just college baseball is a very different game. Like watching a major league baseball game and then watching a college game, it's just a you're watching a different thing. Like college football and and NFL is basically the same thing these days, but um college baseball and major league baseball is very very different and just the, i feel like the, the i feel like the chaos potential for college baseball is very high yeah you could be i mean i think there's still some being down eight to two is not over in the seventh in major league baseball but it's really not over in college baseball like things get weird very quickly and there's a lot more just it, it does seem like there's a lot more balls in play in college baseball i could be wrong but it does feel like it as, as someone who's watched a lot of both it just feels like the ball is in play more. Um, hmm, okay. And it's just, there are more bad players, which is fun. There are, I shouldn't say bad, more flawed players. Just more flawed there, guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. college is a more, le- college has more players who are just not like, because there are some guys in college who are going to play in the majors, and there are plenty of guys in college who are never going to play in the majors. It's, it, it's basically minor league baseball, but with metal bats and a little bit more spirit. Yeah, and it's, it's just fun. Um, John Taylor. Thank you, as always, my friend. Uh, We will be back next week. All right. Sounds good, dude.